How about that? Okay. Now, we have some people here from Florida. Yeah, right. What yeah. are we going to do? How many here from Florida? Anybody here? Oh, yeah, see? See, right? I know. This, oh, yeah. This is, a, this is a problem. It is? It is a problem. What's the problem? Give me, a, give me a, the fill in. Where are you from? Well, uh, yeah, that's a good question. Um, I was born in Chicago, raised in northern Indiana and in South Bend, lived here for almost 25 years, and have just been in Florida for like a year and a half. So you're confused. I'm very confused. So, yeah. I told Mark he's like a part timer with just without the money. So, yeah, how great is that? Because we're pastors. Right. And for those of you who don't know, Mark was uh, assistant pastor here for years and years and years. A hundred. He's a hundred. hundred He's the one that trained me, and it's so good to have you. Thank you. Thanks for being here. It's good to be here. So. Take one of these. Thank you. Yeah, so being from Florida, I could say to you, turn around and shake hands, right? That hasn't happened here, I don't think. But it's like, what are they going to do? Throw me out? They can't, and I mean, you know, how bad could it possibly be? It's super fun to be here. And I thought we would have some fun talking about Florida since, uh, you know, a bunch of you. How many of you have been to Florida? Yeah, that's what I thought would happen. So the vast majority, or some kind of a beach. So we're going to talk today about parables in the New Testament and the Old. Learn something about them. And I'm going to use a bit of a beach analogy to get us there. But, you know, going to the beaches, you learn some things. Number one, not everybody should wear every swimsuit. I mean, this is an obvious no-brainer to me, but it doesn't seem to be obvious to, to everyone else. That one is comical, but still, it's tough. It's tough every day. Okay. And you learn some other things that are, like, profound that you don't realize uh, you think that the waves and all the stuff on top of the water is what really is important and does a lot of the shaping. It's way more about the currents. How many of you have been in a riptide? Man, that is no fun. That is no good. You all of a sudden, you're trying to get back to the, sh- to the shore, and this water is not going to let you do it. You've got to go sideways. It's a very interesting experience. And then you observe things. So people go down there. And they sit out in the sun, right? This is what they do. So I saw a lady not too long ago. She had jury-rigged this kind of chair affair to where she was laying out backwards. And she had a road atlas. Those of you who are millennials and younger, we used to print maps on paper. That has been part of our history. She had this big road atlas with the, the, you know, like the middle open. And it was laying on her face. And she's, this is how she's keeping herself. Everything else is in the sun. But she's got this road atlas. So I said to Jenny, is she on Facebook right now? I'm not quite sure. Yeah, that'll dawn on you eventually, kind of what was going on there. But, uh, you know, you just see crazy things, and you're like, oh my gosh. But this is a phenomenon that has just really surprised me. And that is, when people sit down anywhere on the beach, they start doing something almost immediately. What do you think it is? What's your guess? What is, what is it something that people do right when they get there to the beach? So what was this? They get on their telephone. Yeah, that's true, for sure. What else? They open a beer or something to drink. That's possible. Right? They start digging in the sand. They sometimes start doing that before they even put sunscreen on. It's pretty interesting. And I thought, okay, we're going to talk about parables in kind of a beachy way today, because here's what I want you to do. I want you to realize that parables are great on the surface value, but they really matter if you dig. If you will dig, 
you'll find out all kinds of things that are not there on the top. It's a, a very interesting thing. What these people are trying to accomplish when they dig in the sand, I have no idea. Are they trying to get all the way to China? Are they trying to, uh, who knows what their goal is, but they start digging. And sometimes, you know, you walk along and you see somebody and that hole is like their body length deep that they've been digging. And also they never fill them back in. So that's kind of part of the story. But in this case, we're going to say, okay, what is it about parables that's worth digging for? If you have a Bible, I'm going to encourage you to turn to Matthew chapter 13. Or if you have that on one of your uh, personal electronic devices, and we're going to see if we can't learn something together in the next uh, 75 minutes that I have to preach. Uh, Okay, you're thinking that's not going to happen. All right, that's fine. First of all, what's a parable? A parable is a simile. It's something, this is similar to this. One of the regular phrases Jesus used was, the kingdom of heaven is like unto. That's a real good signal, tip-off, of a parable, that a parable is coming. It's a comparison. It's a surface value comparison to something else that's probably deeper. You can learn just on the surface with a parable. But if you're willing to go deeper and dig, you'll find more. And we're going to talk about how that worked. How many parables do you think Jesus taught? 77, that's a great guess. That's an awesome number. Actually, it's 40-ish. Because there's times where it seems like maybe he's using a parable, maybe he's not. But the specific times that it shows up. How many parables are in the book of John? Zero. Isn't that interesting? Don't you find that intriguing? That tells us something about what John is trying to get you to read. And actually, originally, his original readers to read in what's going on. If he doesn't use any parables. Luke uses at least 26 parables. So, I mean, Luke's got a different agenda. Super interesting. But this was a common event. Are there any parables in the Old Testament? Ooh, some of you are like, I'm not sure about that. Actually, remember when the David Bathsheba event happened? Nathan comes in to corner David on the issue. He tells him the parable about the man, the rich man who takes the the poor man's lamb. You remember that? That's a parable. Uh, there are those who think because Jonah was there actually in Jeroboam II's court, there are those who think Jonah is a, an entire parable. There are those who believe that and that he used it as a, as a teaching tool. Uh, there are a bunch of parables throughout the Old Testament. Trust me, most of the book of Proverbs has parables all over the place. So we're learning things about parables here. And we're going to dig. So let me get you going here. Now, why would we ask questions of an ancient document like the Bible, especially something that's just a simile like that, a comparison? Why would we do that? Well, I'm going to suggest that even though it's set in an ancient context, if we will go learn, if we'll take the text to the context we will learn ways to interpret and understand that to where now we can bring it forward to our context and it can mean a whole lot of things. So they're great in that way. How many of you have have read a really good book or a really good handling of a modern concept of a parable? If you've read anything by Max Lucado, put your hand up in the air because Max uses, he's the best. He's so good at using those. And 
Uh, Henry Nouwen did a beautiful job with the prodigal son and called it the prodigal father. And it is one of my favorite books about the parables. It's spectacular. So you can bring it here, but you have to understand it there first. So take the text back to the context. That's important. It is a concise group of information that stands on its own, even though it's set in what happened before and what happens after it in Jesus' ministry but it actually matters as a very concise thing that you can get from. You can pick and pluck a parable out and get a lot of meaning out of it without it being in its context. And last, this is the important thing. Man, I really want you to, if you walk away with nothing else, please, please, please hear this. Jesus' primary vocation was as a Jewish rabbi. Jesus was a Jewish rabbi. He taught his teledim, his close followers, as a Jewish rabbi. They kicked around literally as they called it. They, we walked in the dust of our rabbi. Their goal was to learn what the rabbi believed, why he believed it, how he interpreted things, so that they could not only repro- reproduce that, they could behave like the rabbi behaved for the same reasons that the rabbi behaved that way. That was the goal of those close followers. And these teaching methods are for the followers of a rabbi. So Jesus is saying, okay, I'm going to teach you as a rabbi. And then, oh, by the way, sometimes the hillsides are full of people. I love this because this feels just like maybe the feeding of the 5,000 or the Sermon on the Mount or what have you, right? Because here we are, hillsides. But Jesus was teaching those very close in. Let me read a a passage to you. Matthew 13, if you've got it open there, we're going to look at verse 34. And I'm going to read this as a standalone kind of idea. So interesting. All these things Jesus said to the crowds in parables. Indeed, he said nothing to them without a parable. If you read that, you'd almost go, oh, he, he spoke a parable every time he talked. Then there had to have been hundreds and hundreds of parables that Jesus used that maybe didn't make the scripture, right? This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet in Psalm 78. I will open my mouth in parables. Listen to this phrase. I will utter what has been hidden since the foundation of the world. This is Jesus trying to use a method, a mechanism to put information that's hidden and needs to be dug for. You need to go find it. You need to discover the information. You can get information on the top, but if you really want to be a devoted follower, you dig. You dig? See what I did there? Yeah, okay. Um, So we're learning a little bit about these parables and the ideas. I hope you're thinking about that. But I want you to think about more of the method of what they were doing. Now, method can sound like it's real, like uh, plastic, you know, uh, super academic. It's not. It's actually what everybody does. How many of you are teachers? Okay. How many of you have ever raised kids? You're teachers. How many of you have ever trained anybody on a job? You're a teacher. How many, you see what I can do? I can get it down to where at some level, all of you have been teachers at some level. You really have. At some point in time, you may not be super jazzed by it or gift by it, but you are all teachers. So the question is, if you've got information that the other guy needs, how do you get that information over the bridge? That's the question. 
what method are you going to use to cross over? You've got to have one. If you just unintentionally just go up and like whack people and tell them, oh, go read the internet about this, that's not teaching. Teaching is let me look you in the eye, understand what you're getting right now. Let me take you from here to there and I'm going to accomplish something. And that takes a method. So Jesus and the rabbis for a long time prior to Jesus and a long time after, particularly after 70 AD. What happened in 70 AD? Jerusalem was destroyed by the Romans. After that, literally the rabbinical process becomes very well organized because it's what they have. They don't have the temple anymore again like the first time. So Jesus is actually in a long line of rabbis on both ends, before him and after him. And he follows in that process and helps set precedent for what was forward. So he had meaning. And here's a big part of it. So if you're going to dig, where do you dig to learn more about a parable? Where, where would you go for that information? Now, on the surface, you're going to get a lot from the actual physical context. Context In Matthew 13, we're going to look at a parable that is about sowing, about farming. And you can learn that on the surface. But where do you think a, a Jewish rabbi would want his followers to dig to get more information about that? Old Testament. So it's not just you take the text to the context. You take the text back to the text. Please, please understand. Jim has done a fantastic job te teaching through, well, it wasn't that great, Jim. I don't want you to feel too good about yourself. But teaching through Leviticus lately, teaching through that book. Like most Christian pastors don't even want to look at that book. They want to avoid it with all they've got. Jesus understand, no, the Torah, we have now, since we've been back from exile... We have come back from Persia with this synagogue thing, which was the perfect model for building the church, by the way. They followed it exactly, almost to the letter. And they have this method of what they do to teach the Torah and teach the Old Testament to their children. And they started very young, four, five years old. Often, we have learned men or young boys and girls at the earliest levels up till about eight or nine. They got to study the Torah. Now imagine, this was your goal. If you lived in Israel as a Jewish child, it was your goal to memorize Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy by the time you were nine. A little intimidating? <laughs> I mean, if you, you grab that section of your Bible, you're like, are you kidding me? But these were pliable brains who could learn this stuff. It was the only way they could keep the text in the story of the people was to have them memorize it. If you showed proficiency, you could go from there to your bar mitzvah around 13 and memorize the rest of the Old Testament as they had it. The Psalms, the Proverbs, all of the prophets, all of the history. Can you imagine this? And then if you showed super high proficiency, you got to apply to a rabbi to be one of his teledim, one of his followers. And this is what's so astounding about the whole Peter, Paul, or Peter James, John, uh, you know, 
Zacchaeus who comes along and wants to be one of those guys. Nicodemus wants to be one of those guys, maybe. I mean, it's super interesting because they're like, wait, they're trying to figure out, can we follow this rabbi? And I mean, you had to be qualified with your word. I guarantee you every Jewish person, average Jewish person walking around in their markets knew way more about their Bible than we do. Not to shame you, that's not my goal, just saying. They had it available to them in their brains, in their memories. So he would take them back, he would teach this way, they did it for centuries, and they were looking for hidden things that were inside there. Now don't hear, when I say that, don't hear like it was a secret Bible code. That's not what the rabbis were doing. This is not like you've got to have the magic handshake and say all the right words in the right way. That's not it. You have the available to find this stuff, but you've got to remember. So what they did was they suggested to everyone, get in groups when you hear a parable, talk about the parable, figure out, this is literally what small groups are about, by the way, talk about what you just heard or saw, and remember to what are we referring back here. That's the method. Um, as this shaped up, it's kind of interesting. By, by the Middle Ages, they had actually come up with the term pardes for this process, this method. It took a long time after Jesus to specify this. But at the front, you would do what is called peshat, which is basically Hebrew kind of for table. It's up here on the surface. You could read a parable and learn something from it. Let's do that right now. If you have your Bibles, let's go into Matthew, and we're going to go look at, a, at a, this parable. Look at the context here. Uh, Matthew 13, 1. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake, and such large crowds gathered around him. He got into a boat and sat in it while all the people stood on the shore. Then he told them many things in parables. So you can see the situation. It's not a whole lot different from this. He's got the water to amplify. He's out separated from them, and he's teaching a number of things in parables, and this is one of the ones he teaches. A farmer went out to sow his seed. This parable is not about the farmer. Listen to this parable as I read it. It's not about the farmer. Sometimes we think this is the farmer parable. It's not. The farmer here is God, went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came, thank you birds for the illustration, I appreciate that, and ate it up, and some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil, but it sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they were withered because they had no root. Do you hear how much detail he's got in there? That's a signal if you're one of the teledim. It's a signal that there's something under there that we're supposed to go remember. And look at some of these details. Yeah, it fell on the path. The birds ate it. Then it fell on rocky places, and it doesn't have much soil. Why does he mention that? It sprang up quickly. Why does he mention that? The soil was shallow, and when the sun came up, the plants were scorched. Why does he mention all of that? He's trying to take them back. They withered because they had no root. Other seed, here's the third quality, fell among the thorns which grew up and choked the plants and still other seed fell on good soil where it produced. Now listen to this. How many of you are farmers at all? Have ever grown up in Kansas or Iowa or Indiana, one of those places? Listen to this yield. It fell on good soil and it produced a crop 160 or 30 times what was sown. Those are unbelievable yields. If you know, as they did, 
in their context. They're like, he put, you know, a bushel of, of uh, seed on the ground and ended up with a hundred bushels? That's impossible almost. So what's the reference point? We're going to talk about that in just a minute. Whoever has ears, let him hear. Now, do you think Jesus invented this parable? That's a good guess. Yeah, it would seem like he did. This parable had been told for hundreds of years in the Jewish tradition with all kinds of different methods. Sometimes it was about sieves of what gets separated out, this and that and the other. It was always a fourfold telling of the four different types of things. And Jesus just grabs a, a parable that honestly they have heard a bunch of times. They've, they're very familiar with this. This is not new information. We know this because now we've been able to find a bunch of things in the Dead Sea Scrolls, a bunch of the papyri laying in different places, and we know this has been written down in a bunch of different ways. What is this, this about? What is the thing at stake here? I'm going to take you to the idea that this is about the soils. And so the Peshat, the tabletop, the surface level of this is this question, which is a great question. What kind of soil are you? Are you the hard soil that nothing ever happens? Are you the kind of soil where it springs up fast and then it kind of, because it's shallow, doesn't have roots, it dies off? Are you the kind of soil that it lasts for a while, but eventually the, the thorns grow up around and choke it out? Or are you the good soil that gives an unbelievable yield? This is what Jesus is getting at at the Peshat level, the table level, the top level. But there's more. Now, would that be a waste of time, by the way, if you just got that? I'm going to make the case for the fact that no, it would not be a waste of your time at all to have just gotten that. But there's more. So let's look. There's another layer called remez. And remez is a Hebrew word for a hint. There's something in there. And remember when I was pointing out those different details and saying, well, that's interesting that he said that. Why did he say that? There's a bunch of things. He's taken them from the text back to the text to find what's going on. Now, let me read this passage. I'm going to save you some time. Hosea 10 says this. Israel is a luxurious vine, uttering mere words. She yields poisonous weeds in furrows of the field. Thorns and thistles grow upon her altars. Judah must plow. Jacob must harrow up the ground for himself. Sow for yourself righteousness. Reap steadfast love. Break up your fallow ground, for it is the time to seek the Lord that he may come and rain righteousness upon you. You have plowed iniquity. You have reaped injustice. You have eaten the fruit of lies. Does that sound anything? Does that ring a bell out of this soil parable? That's a simple one that Hosea 10 is a reference. And specifically to the hard path, the rocky ground, there's things in Isaiah, Jeremiah. But I even want to tell you something about the last one. You remember the last thing I pointed out in this parable? It was the, the good soil produces 160, 30 times. How many times in the Old Testament do you think the idea of a hundredfold reaping comes out? Once. One time, in Genesis 26, you get like 50,000 extra points for your team if you know off the top of your head what Genesis 26 is about. It's about the very brief chapter about the life of Isaac. 
Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. There's a ton of ink about Abraham, even more ink about Jacob. There's almost nothing about Isaac. Jesus goes back to the hundredfold. And Abimelech, maybe the same Abimelech who had interacted with Abraham, is interacting and watching Isaac in his land where the Philistines were. And he's watching him come in. He digs a well. Somebody comes and fills it in. He doesn't, doesn't react in violence. He digs another well. Somebody comes and takes it. He moves away over here. Digs another well. As he starts planting, it says that he reaps a hundredfold of what he planted. And Abimelech comes along. I want to read this to you because in Genesis 26, 28, and 29, Abimelech, a pagan, they're, they're kind of a little early to be the uh, Philistines, but in that area, says to Isaac, we saw clearly that the Lord was with you, so we said, there ought to be a sworn agreement between us because between us and you. Let's make a treaty with you so that you do not do us any harm and we don't do any harm to you because we've always treated you well, even though that was not true. But he's trying to make a case for that. And behold, you are blessed by the Lord. Abimelech literally sandwiches this message to say, we have watched you and there is shalom in this land because of you. There is flourishing in this land because of you. You have not reacted with violence against the people who have been violent towards you. There is something different about you. Basically, Jesus is saying, if you want to know what the kingdom of heaven is like, look at Isaac. Look at Isaac. If you want to know how you can tell if you're good soil, what's the, the people around you, what's your reputation like? How much of a difference do you make in your community? Has God blessed you in ways that people just go, oh my goodness, we can't blame that on anybody else except his God. This is what's called drash, where the term midrash finally comes from. And this is the deeper meaning that you gotta go get a shovel. And just like the sand in Florida, you gotta keep digging and digging and moving stuff out of the way till you go and you hit the right passage and you go, well, this is what he means. This is it. And that method was super crucial. It was literally the way that it happened for them to learn things. And eventually, the, the final level to which most of us will never be exposed is sowed. And sowed is what happened when Peter, Jesus said, who do you guys say I am? Everybody around here is saying that I'm, you know, Ezekiel, I'm, I'm Elijah, I'm uh, John the Baptist, come back to life, I'm a, one of the prophets, whatever. Who do you say that I am? And Peter said that beautiful, you are the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the living God. What did Jesus say to him right after that? No human being revealed that to you, Peter. <laughs> You're not that smart, Peter. I've met you before. You're not that genius. That was not Peshat level information in this conversation. You got something that literally the Holy Spirit revealed. And I want you to know this. This is what the Bible wants to do for us. The Bible wants to reveal still today. We haven't learned it all. We, we just navigated this whole COVID fiasco, right? How many of us went and said, man, what could I learn from certain places in the scripture? Maybe from Paul here and then to what Paul refers back here. Or Jesus here and to what is referred to back here. 
did we do that? I mean, we have that opportunity. And sometimes God wants to reveal us information that nobody's ever heard before. Usually, it's good wisdom. Like, if you will live faithfully in front of your neighbors, they will recognize something about you. I just wanted to encourage you to say, look, don't take your Bible for granted. Don't take the information for granted. Don't take it on simple basis. You can go enjoy the beach if you want to. That's fine. But why wouldn't you dig? Go after more. I know that's what Pastor Jim wants everybody to do. He planted that in me. And I want to encourage you with that as well. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the chance to uh, be together this morning. This is awesome. And uh, we're hearing the birds around us. We get to sit and look at that beautiful lake, look at the blue sky. All of that is revelation from you, but there is stuff. It's in there. These parables are amazing wells. Encourage me to, to go, to listen more, to get my Bible out, get something online and go dig and find those passages to what this refers. Teach us, move our hearts, and God, may we trust what we learn to follow along, be the kingdom to others around us. And uh, be as Isaac, bring the kingdom to life. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.